Father, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this class and that you've gathered us here this morning among the other classes here at Sylvania to do one thing and one thing only, and that's to bring honor to Christ, to lift him up, to love him more, to cherish him as the supreme treasure of, of all that you've given us. Um, we thank you for this. We thank you that even now we are participating in eternal life defined by Christ as to know you and the Son, the one whom, you've, whom you have sent, uh, your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that we do that a little more this morning by the help of your Spirit as you open our ears and open our hearts to receive what your Word would say this morning. We thank you for it. We thank you for the gift that we have, the treasure that we have in your Word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in Exodus um, chapter 38, 21 through 31 today. 21 through 31. It is not 31 through 39 yet. Uh, it's it's going to be kind of kind of a strange one. Um, we um, we're finishing that final section of Exodus where the Hebrews are building the tabernacle. And here this morning, we have recorded for us an accounting of all the materials used to build it. It's an accounting of all the materials used to build it. There it is. He's got the picture of Audrey. He's going to pass that around. That's fine. It's an object lesson is what that is. No, this is the before. That's our princess with the, with the AR on the dead hog at her feet. It's a... It is. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. Think you're ready for dating. Yeah. I got one, Dad. Getting her ready for dating. That's wonderful. Morning. How are you? All right. We are still continuing in Exodus. Um, this passage shows the cost of constructing. The tabernacle, it goes through very detailed what those costs are. Um, it, it's set between the construction of the tabernacle and the, 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 um, the weaving, the knitting, the sewing of the, of the priestly garments. And the reason it's set here is because, one of the reasons, is because it's dealing with principal material that's done in the tabernacle for the furniture. And you don't really see that material that's, that's listed here principally used for the clothing. Um, anyway, it, this is a, well, let's just read it and we'll talk more about it. All right, 38, verse 21. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses. The responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the gold that was used for the work and all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was a hundred talents 
1775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A beka, a head, that is, half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. A hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent a base. And of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating for it and all the utensils of the altar, the bases around the court and the bases of the gate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs around the court. Now, a couple of Wednesdays ago, uh, Colby quoted me in saying at the beginning of his lesson on Matthew, what do you do with this? This is a what-do-you-do-with-this moment in Exodus. We have this itinerary, really, or an accounting of all these materials. Um, what do you do with this? Let's start by just kind of walking through it and just kind of seeing what's here. What is the name given to the tent they constructed? What's the name given to it? What's the name uh, used? Sanctuary. Sanctuary, I'm hearing sanctuary. Tabernacle. Tabernacle. Is there a more specific name that's given in, say, oh, I don't know, the first verse? Tabernacle of the Testimony. Um, all of those are correct. This is a specific name used here, Tabernacle of the Testimony. We don't see that very often. In fact, it's the only time it's really used in Exodus. We see it a couple of times in Numbers, and there may be some other places where, where it might be uh, referenced. But it's a very rare name uh, of, the, of the Tabernacle. What is it conveying? What is the Testimony over which it tabernacles. That's correct. What's the testimony? The ark. The ark. What we, what's another name for the ark? Ark of the testimony, ark of the covenant. This tabernacle is an expression of the covenant, right? This is their symbol. This is the, this is the meeting place between God and his people and the, and the name is, uh, to remind them again, this is the point of this thing. The tabernacle of the testimony. Um, all right. The testimony refers to the covenant relationship between God and Israel. It reflects the, tabernacle, uh, the tabernacle's purpose and symbolism of the place where God and Israel meet. Who's making the record here? Who's responsible to make this record? Moses. The Levites. As delegated by Moses, he gives them the duty to do it. The Levites do it under whose direction? Aaron. Ithamar, who is a son of Aaron, who was designated to be a priest. He has the responsibility to do this. Um, notice that the two master builders are directly responsible to the priests and, and ultimately to Ithamar for making this, for, for keeping account of this. They're Somebody's watching over how they're using the material, right? There's a responsibility to properly account for why. Why would they have to properly account for this? Where'd they get the material? From the people. It was an offering. It was a, it was a, it was a, 
a, a, a voluntary free will offering, and they're making an accounting of all the stuff they got that's going to be used in the building and constructing of the tabernacle. Uh, verses 24 through 31, uh, we see the record given in, in what way? How, how, are the, how is this recorded? What kind of order does it have? Most precious to least precious. Most precious to least precious. We have gold to bronze. And yet it's all recorded, right? Oh yeah, and there was bronze. They didn't pass over that. They recorded everything. Um, a talent here equals about 3,000 shekels. So the gold is sitting at about 87,730 shekels, in case you want to keep record of that. We don't know the precise weight of it. Some guess it's about 75 pounds for a, a talent. Um, but there's a, a specific weight that's used here, isn't there? By the weight of the shekel of where? Of the sanctuary. The sanctuary. What does that imply? Is that the only measure that's used in Israel? By the weight of the sanctuary? If you have to qualify it, then it isn't the only one that's used. Seems to be a couple of different, at least a couple of different ways. There seems to be one weight, one standard that's used in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, and then one standard used for commercial purposes, right? Which makes it very confusing on how to determine the value is. But there's two standards. There's how we judge things in the tabernacle, and there's how everybody else judges things outside. Okay, there's two systems here. How something is measured as valuable in the tabernacle versus how something is measured as valuable in the commercial system outside. All right. There's not a whole lot really else to pull out of that passage. So thank you for coming. <laughs> enjoy the bread. What, enjoy the bread. What is the implicit in this, though? There's a couple of ways to go with this, I guess. One is, in applying this um, in our time, what's, what's, what's understood here? Accounting is a holy, precious... <laughs> <laughs> To be a CPA is a calling of God. A true man of the cloth. True man of the cloth. That's one take on it. What's another take? Going on with what Clint said, it was what I was thinking is all the people presented all of this stuff for uh, an offering to God. And so they accounted for all of it. They wrote it down. This is what was, what was given to us. This is what we used it for mm -hmm. as an accountability to the people and showing to the congregation what they use all of their offering for. So it's like, okay, this is what we're this is what we're doing with what we, we gave. We're not just giving because you asked us to give. Here's what it was used for. And so it's an accountability to the people that are using it and it it's uh, it shows the people what, what you know what everything is being done. And what does that expose them to? To what does it expose them? To be to have this record how they used it, what they were using. What did they expose them to? People are reading this. People are watching this and seeing this happen, knowing that they gave to this. What does that expose them to? It exposes them to what makes up the tabernacle. Okay. What is inside of it. Why, why the metals? Why this amount? Okay. Why this order? Why is it used this way? Every... Everything's valuable. Everything is taken. Okay. Account. Everything's noticed. Sure. Everything's noticed by whom? 
Everything's accounted to. Now there's some transparency, isn't there? You mean a government, a leadership body, is open to accountability to the people? Is this a biblical budget? Uh, it seems to be. It's recorded in the Bible, so it's already stamped as good. We have transparency here, right? And one of the takeaways from this is as we're doing church work, we should, be, we should err always on the side of transparency. Of, of letting, it's why we do budgets. I mean, just for the sake of, sake of uh, the statement of polity here in, in the church, it's why we do budgets. It's why we have people vote on budgets. We want people to know where their money is going, right? It's and, and to be accountable for that. This is where it's going. This is how it's used. So that's one element of it. Um, as I was reading this um, this this week and thinking, what am I going to do with this? Uh, that one approach was the transparency argument in, in how we do church. The other thing that struck me, though, as I was reading, is um, during the family worship times with our kids, one of the questions that we ask them is, um, can God see all things? And the answer to that question in the, in the catechism question is, yes, nothing can be hidden from God. Our lives are an open record to Him. God is concerned with accounting. I, yes, it is a holy profession. God is concerned with record. The, uh, again and again, there is this refrain that He keeps account. Every idle thought, every idle word, He keeps account of that. And so, that, that would be the ultimate transparency, wouldn't it? God keeps record of our lives. Um, not only does he see it, but Romans 14 tells us that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. With the material we've been given, how are we using it? Yes? Does that make sense? Right. All, all, the have, all the materials we have are His gift to us to be stewards of what we've been given. How are we handling the materials each of us are given for the building up of the temple, the church? How are we handling that? There's an accounting that's coming. Yeah? Um, it's a reflection of the heart. Absolutely it is. I've heard it in a real cheesy statement. If you want to know what your, where your heart is found, just look at your bank account. I mean, that's a cheesy statement. But well, it's a true right. statement. And, and I think also look at, look at how you, you, the accounting of how you, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, right. uh, is another, an, another great uh, reflection of the heart. Some of us have been given gold. Some have been given silver. Some have been given bronze. But all of us must give an account. Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that believers, he tells believers this, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you recall that, that parable? Jesus talks about the final day as, as the, the Son of Man comes and he separates the nations as one separates the sheep from the goats. Do you remember that? 
and he enter into your rest. Depart from me, I never knew you. That whole idea there. There's an accounting coming. Does this cause you fear? I will tell you, uh, it, it, um, I spent a lot of time early on in my Christian walk freaking out over that even if I'm a believer, I'm going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. I had this big vision in my head of a, of a, uh, you know, a football field size screen TV in the, th- in the judgment room of God. And the thought, every thought, every word, every action that I had displayed while I'm standing there by myself before creation, there it is. Do you have that secret nightmare that you don't want to admit to everybody else? Is that, is that the way it's going to be for the believer? Uh, what probably causes some of this is when I read things like, the Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive... How does it end, by the way? Then each one... 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Then each one will receive... The word is his commendation from the Lord. It doesn't say receive his condemnation, because Paul's talking to believers with that statement. His commendation. I hope to encourage your trust and confidence in the sufficiency of what Christ has done for us. For believers, there should not be a fear for the judgment seat of Christ. There shouldn't be. How has He handled our sin? What does it say? What are some things that you recall to mind when you, when you hear of God talking about our sin covered in the blood of Christ? What does He say? It's, it's a tabernacle reference, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Separated from the, as far as the east is from the west. I will take your sins and throw them in the sea of forgetfulness and remember them no more. That sounds like a blank screen on the, tele, you know, the television in the throne room of judgment. When, isn't that how he deals with our sin? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't fear that day if you're in Christ. That's a good day. You want that day to come. And here's why. Paul is not talking about eternal judgment there for the believer. And I want to stress that distinction, for the believer. He's talking about an accounting for deeds done in the body for building up the body of Christ, for building up the church, so that God grants rewards for those actions, for those uh, events, for those efforts that we do to build up the body, to, to, to lead that, to increase the kingdom, to guard, keep, subdue, and increase the kingdom. As for judgment for our sins, remember where you stand before God. Remember that the picture uh, of the tabernacle itself, Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. He doesn't remember sins for those who are in Christ. They've been dealt with. They've been accounted for already, reckoned on the cross. Don't fear that day. 
anticipate it. Be joyful. Be hopeful. So, if we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, why stand anyway? Revelation eleven fourteen kind of gives us a little hint on this. The nations raged. This is a prayer of the elders, by the way, in, in the scene in heaven. You, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints. If you're in Christ, are you a saint? Are you in that list? Yes. If you're in Christ, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name. Do you fear his name? Don't um, panic and dread the day of the Lord. You stand before God made righteous because of what Christ has done. Both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Not only does he remove your sin as far as the east is from the west and, re and remembers them no more, he rewards those in Christ who have worked to build his church, who have been faithful over what has been entrusted to them. The Bible also teaches that there are rewards that are given in degrees in Scripture. He talks about degrees of rewards that are given at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, uh, in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, it says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, for the day, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is not talking about that mythical location known as purgatory that is often believed in by our Roman Catholic friends. This is talking about your work done in increasing the kingdom, growing the church, tending to the church. There are degrees of reward that are given. So all of that work is done by Christians, right? Because he himself will be saved. Yeah. But even though your work Right. But it's an encouragement to try to make sure your work is something lasting. Is lasting. And why? Why does it matter? If I'm going to be saved anyway, why does it matter? Because it's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to do. Does it, does it speak to a future uh, existence? Uh, yeah. Like your work is something that's tangible in the future? Like it's not being burnt up, so that means it's survived... What we do, what we do in Christ really matters. It really matters. Not so that we become accepted before God, but that we have, we honor Him. What, what happens at the end of time when, when the elders are, this picture in Revelation, when, when they're all standing there and they've been given their commendation of crowns, what do they do with them? Throw them at His feet. They do, and they set up a hierarchy of, you know, I'm closest to the throne. Right, and I've got and I've got a shack down by the river. So they don't do that. They throw it at his feet. They throw it at his feet. They honor him. Look what you have done through me. Thank you. 
Um, I, um, well, this point. In Christ you are free in making your choices. That, I mean, that's, we're going to talk about freedom of the will. There it is. In Christ you're free to make those choices. From the new birth, you're given a heart that can honor, please God that way. Now I say please. Notice I didn't say that God will love you more for. Uh, an analogy here. It's imperfect, but it might work. I love my son Nathaniel. And I love him if he strikes out or not. But I'm very pleased when he hits a three-run triple. Right? My heart swells when that happens. I mean, I love him any less. But I'm pleased with that. That's great. I love that. But I'm pleased with him when he tries real hard and strikes out. I mean, I, you know. And I love him if he doesn't try real hard and strikes out. I love him even when he throws the bat across the thing and hits one of the kids with, you know, because he's he frustrated. He hasn't done that. But it's resting, I know, in his heart. It's waiting to come out. But I love him anyway. When he fails, when he succeeds, the love doesn't change. He's still my son. But, but I am pleased. I get happy. I rejoice in his successes with what Tammy and I have allowed him to do in playing baseball. It's a silly analogy, I know, but I hope he gets a point across. That's the judgment seat of Christ. There is a reward based upon our uh, faithfulness in, in tending to the body of Christ. It matters. But I want to temper this with a warning. Um, and, and we've already kind of mentioned it a little bit in our discussion about the shack down by the river and all this kind of stuff. Our joy is not dependent upon our status, our level of reward, our power at the end of the age. Our joy is not dependent on that. Uh, why, why would that be the case? Why would our joy not be dependent on those things? So be dependent, joy would be dependent based upon, well, my, my, my possessions, my power, my status. Our identity is not found in that. Our identity is not found in that. Those are, that's the commercial standard, right? Possession, power, status. That's the commercial standard. The temple standard is what? It's Christ. It's loving Him, being satisfied in Him, rejoicing in Him. If it were the other, we would always be bitter. Who's going to get more reward than the apostles? You can't beat them. You just can't do it. Paul, he's got it. I can't take Paul on. I'm always going to be lesser than Sadi. I'm always going to be lesser than Isaiah and Jeremiah who were sawn in half, thrown in pits, thrown to lions. I don't have that. I can't, I can't, hey God, check this out. Push me above Jeremiah. It's not going to happen. If my joy were dependent on that, I'd be host for eternity. Bitter. Our joy is by the temple standard, the tabernacle standard. It's in Christ. So yes, we strive, we work to do things that, that, that increase the kingdom, to show that Jesus is better. 
the whole theme of Hebrews should be the marching orders of our lives. Christ is greater than. But we do this to, to bring honor to Him, knowing that our joy is in Him. Does that make sense? Uh, how, how does... Well, <laughs> I have here. The beauty here is that you don't have to be on the TGC speaker's circuit to be rewarded by God for your faithfulness with what He's given you. You don't have to be up in front of everybody talking and doing the thing. You don't have to be, you know, on the, the, the little black and white videos to, to, to be honored for faithfulness with what He's given you. Some have been given gold, some have been given silver, some have been given bronze. All are honored by the faithfulness with which they deal with the materials that they have. It seems like everything you're, you, you, when we get into the tabernacle, the focus is on God and Christ. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start talking about all those other measurable things, now the focus becomes on us. Yeah. So it's this shifting, and he's taking that out. And we, yeah, we see the, the two standard idea. We want to we we wanna judge eternity based on the commercial standard, our standard, the worldly standard. Do I have the awesome mansion on the hill? Do I have the, the do I get to judge tens of thousands of angels? You know, do all these kind of things it's also that we. a reflection of our effort. You know, yeah. I tried harder than he right. or she. Right. Whatever. Right. But we should have effort. I don't want to minimize effort. <laughs> and this, this, that's the tension here. There's a tension in me to just, okay, I'll coast. If we have a heart that is renewed, we don't coast. We want to push forward. We want to, uh, we want to make much of him. Their incentive there is that uh, it, rather than it being a, a competitive thing, I'm going to get the mansion that's closer than you will, which is silly, we should be encouraging one another. Press on. It, it's not as if um, God has a limited number of certificates he's going to give out on the judgment day. He's in it. There are immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's infinite. So we spur each other on to do good things. We spur each other on to make much of Jesus while we're here. Um, Hebrews 10, let us, not, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why does he put that in there? Because there, it's an incentive. We want to be before Christ. We want to see him. We want to have that well done said over us. Because of what he's done for us, we should not fear that day. Also, there's motivation there for us to work with our whole heart at whatever task he calls us to, whether great or small, whether paid or unpaid. It's there to make us long for his approval rather than wealth or success as judged by the outside commercial standard. And it's a motivator to work at building up the church on the one foundation of Christ. How does this help you on Monday? We strive. We work because he's working in us as those who will be before God give account. I tell you, um, one of those statements that does keep echoing in my head, the whole elder thing, live as those who will give an account for how we shepherd. 
that's sobering. But I don't fear it from the standpoint of, I may go to hell because of bad shepherding. I fear it because I want to honor what he's given us to do, right? And as we relate to each other, as we um, pour into one another, we do it because we want to honor Christ in doing it well. Well, to throw those at his feet, knowing that because of what he's done, he's transformed us and made what we do valuable. For those who have put their trust in Jesus, there is the promise of his coming. But I'd be remiss in not pointing out that there's also another accounting. Luke 12, 2-3, Jesus, this is in red, so it's really inspired. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And the context in which he's saying that is different from that Paul talks about in Corinthians. He's talking about that in terms of eternal judgment. He's talking about that in terms of the condemnation of those apart from the grace of Christ. So the big screen TV is a very stark reality for those who are not in Christ. What are you going to do? Stand there alone and offer to God the outside commercial standard? I live the American dream. I did it well. Voted every election. Voted Republican every election. Is that the standard? The standard is the temple standard. The standard is Christ. It has been rightly said that no one will stand looking into the precipice of hell and say, I don't deserve this. And there will be no one standing at the gate of heaven saying, I deserve this. There is justice and there is mercy. Flee to mercy. And flee to mercy daily. The gospel is not just the entrance exam. It is the heartbeat. It's where the engine should be in control. Where we idle should be, I'm a sinner. He has saved me. I'm covered in a righteousness not my own. I am loved as the Father loves the Son. Therefore, I work while He's working in me. That's where we should be. Because an accounting is coming to those who are in Christ to reward. To those who are not They'll perish. Flee to Christ. Trust Him alone. Any comments? Any questions? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. The level of detail was so boring to me. Or, you know, when I was younger reading mm. things. And even the past few years, you just know that there's good reason for it being there but don't really understand what it is mm-hmm. uh, when you don't think about it in reference to who it was written for mm-hmm. and um, I've been reading in First Samuel mm-hmm. where the people finally revolt and ask for a king right. but God you know, this whole time was leading them through 
the Levites and through all of this that, that we're reading here, how he set up the temple, set up mm-hmm. this whole process for them uh, to to be renewed daily and for daily. Right. And so it's just interesting thinking application, things that God gives us to do that feels boring or we're not really sure mm-hmm. why, you know, why we have to do this or where's the glory in it. Mm-hmm. And yet it's building uh, something that we can look back on when we're tempted to ask God for something more, for more direction. Yeah. Because we've seen his faithfulness, seen the way he's provided for us to do his will through things that didn't make any sense yeah building building a pot to catch the drippings under the altar probably not the the most glamorous job much less cleaning it every week every day and yet it's valuable it's considered a holy task because it's temple work and everything that we're given to do in Christ is temple work regardless of is it silver is it gold is it bronze it's all holy under the Lord yeah in that passage, how some people brought gold, silver, bronze, mm. it made me think like this weekend after listening to James White, I'm just like, good grief, how can I ever do anything good? Mm. Cause, and, but it, like, God gives each of us different tools and different levels mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, it doesn't mean one's more valuable than the other one. Right. And it reminds me of. Um, Except the accountant. Well, <laughs> 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 um, but that the hymn, Take My Life, is um, that line that says take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Mm-hmm. It's like give everything you have. You know, it's not going to be the same as everybody else, but give it. You know. Yeah, it's real easy, and I fall into that too, and, and still do from time to time. Thinking about the lives of Calvin and Luther and and uh, Augustine and, and Spurgeon and all these great heroes of the faith who, you know, Calvin by the time he was 25 had written the Institutes. Good grief. What a master work that was at 25. Now, he was a lawyer, I get that, but, but still, what an amazing thing. Spurgeon lived very short life, wrote almost 150 books. I have a hard time writing a letter, you know. It's just one of those, when you compare yourself to the lives that those guys live, I'll never be that. I'll never do that. Right? And there's this slacker you know, kind of thing that falls on you. That's the commercial standard. What have you been given to do? Where are your gifts and your talents? Are you growing them? Are you developing them? Are you, are you investing in the lives of those behind you, above you? Know, wh- wherever you are in your spectrum of your walk with Christ, are you pouring into what's around you, to those who are around you, building up the body in love? Are you making a big name for yourself by putting down other people in the church or are you secretly behind the scenes humbly building up others? What's done in secret is going to come out in light, right? And when Paul talks about that in Corinthians, he's talking about people coming against his ministry that it's not much, it's not this. And he's saying, you're judging the motives of my heart. But what I'm doing It'll be made known on the day of judgment. He takes great comfort in, ju- in, the, in the judgment seat of Christ because from his heart, it's going to be made known why he's doing what he's doing. If we were behind the scenes, if it's quiet, if it's just investing here and there, cooking a thing here, bringing it over somebody who's in need here, that's good stuff. That's valuable stuff. That's tending to the body and building her up in love. That's good. It's not 150 books written at the pen of Charles Spurgeon 
But it's faithful with what we've been given here. And we need to be faithful with that. And thank God for it. Because we couldn't be out away from Him, separated from Christ without hope. But we're not. We're in hope. We have Jesus. And He's enough. Yeah? You were going to say something? Okay. Uh, Matthew 25 has the parable of talents. Yeah. And that's very much what I'm reminded of here. Sure. Because uh, a master leaves, and before he leaves, he gives his servants five, two, and one talent. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, you know, I'll come back in X, X long. And uh, what the servants do with the talent right. is very telling. And I see that the servant who had one talent, he's frozen mm-hmm. in fear, like you were talking about, mm-hmm. for those not in Christ. But he's frozen in fear of the master coming back. And he, he knows he's a hard master. He's going to demand mm-hmm. his talent back. He doesn't want to lose his talent. So all he does is bury it. Right. The others went and invested their talent, and they were fruitful. Mm-hmm. And so when the master returns, he's very disappointed. He's so not pleased at all. Investing and in working in investments is a godly thing. So working in investments is also a godly thing? Is that? Mm-hmm. And accounting for it is godly? Even even law can be a holy thing. It was, but the law is for the lawless, so I'm still here. Um, so you have then whatever you're given. I, I'm thinking of that that thing I see on Facebook every now. And then, the one talent for the unbeliever. You're given one thing. Believe on Christ. You know you are given one job. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Maybe that's not a good way to go. But um, what we're given, we need to be about increasing for, for Christ. Not for our own name, not for our own sake, not for our own rewards, but to, to give her to Him. Yeah, that's a good, I, that's a good parable to remind us. It's not, a, it's not a capital building campaign parable. I don't like that when they, people use it that way. But Yeah. of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus, being the cornerstone, and it, you grow into a holy temple in the Lord, so there's mm-hmm. this being built by God, but also growing, and mm-hmm. then it says, and you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, mm-hmm. and I, I've thought about that a lot, and I, I don't think this is wrong, but I think there's both a historical building of the church that it's talking about mm-hmm. that's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as the cornerstone and a here and now we are being built together mm-hmm. as the church as a dwelling place for God here and now but we're being built in, and y'all are younger than us so y'all may not be thinking this way but your lives are a building stone that other lives are going to be built on mm-hmm. if you're a part of the church and, and I think there's both a historical context and a here and now, but it, it continues on yeah. as long as history continues on. Right. And so there's a, there's a big picture of how the church is built. And what we do matters. Right. The, 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 the efforts that we make, the decisions that we make, the sacrifices that we make matter because we're building the next level of, of the temple. Yeah, that's good. Anything else? All right, I'm sure I will get some discussion from this after class from some of you. I'm looking at eyes. That's good. All right, let's pray.
If there's one takeaway from this, Father, I pray that it's that we are secure in our satisfaction that Jesus is enough. That in Him, He rightly declared, it is finished. And we stand before You in His righteousness, in His right standing with You, in His goodness, without which we'd have no hope. We are so thankful that we can look at His appearing as a glorious event in which to hope that we will not be condemned but commended. That our standard is not the commercial standard but that of your temple. And it is Christ. And we're covered in Him. So in that assurance of our right standing with you. I pray that you move us to work hard because you're working in us. That we would look for opportunities to build up your body in love. Treating each other as we would treat Christ because he identifies with each and every one of us that way. Why do you persecute me, he asked Saul. Father, I pray that as we go into the main service that you would once again, by your Spirit, open our ears and our hearts to receive what you would teach us this morning about this great community you're building, that you've established and are building generation after generation upon the work done before it. And I, and I pray that we would always remember that the foundation for all of this is Christ and his work. It's in his name we pray. Amen.